Please turn in your Old Testament to 2 Kings 19, verse 20. 2 Kings 19, verse 20. And we're not going to get there immediately. As we look at this covenant-making and covenant-keeping God and what He means to us and the fact that we can look to Him in our lives even today. You know, back then, it was a very difficult thing being the nation of Israel. Reason was, is the nation of Israel was not a powerful nation. And all through the Scriptures, we read of these, these great and powerful kingdoms and empires that no one can stop and they all seem to find their way to the gates of Jerusalem. They all that pressure seems to finally come to Israel and time and again it looked really bad for God's people. And you know life is like that. And that's what makes it so interesting, isn't it, to have a relationship with God? That we don't have all the answers. That we don't have the power to make everything work the way we at this moment want it to work. That we're not smart enough. That we're not influential enough. But we know the one true and living God. The covenant making and covenant keeping God who will protect and will love and walk with and lead his people. Because God is simply greater. You believe that this morning that God is greater I love Psalm 115 too. Why do the nations say, where is your God? Our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. Our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. And today we are told the same thing subtly in a thousand different ways. Where is your God? so-called God. I mean, look, isn't it time to be get real? Isn't it time to look at things the way they actually are and not the way you'd like them to be? Isn't it time to figure out what, to, what you need to do with this? And that is not to take away human responsibility because even as we follow the Lord, He will lead us and we will make choices and we will do. But we who know the Lord... And that would be people in the Scriptures here today that we're reading about their history all the way up to people sitting in this very sanctuary. We who know the Lord know there is a greater reality and we know that we can walk with Him and we can trust Him and we know there's a larger picture than just what we see and that picture is love. And God is in control. And basically the message of the text that we'll read in a moment Simply is this, when God wants to move, no one can stop him. Put your trust in him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? When God wants to move, no one can stop him. Put your trust in him. Well, first is that problem when God wants to move. <laughs> you see, I like reading it better when God wants to move instead of when God wants to move. Uh, it's hard when we feel surrounded in our lives, it's, so to speak, like Jerusalem, like Hezekiah was. It's hard when we're, when we're struggling and, and we feel weak and, and we are down. And you know, one of the, the not so... One of the 
hard and fast realities of, of life is that things are not always instant. And there's a truth in this life that most of the hard things that we go through, most, are things we're just going to have to grind through for a long time by faith. I hate to tell you that. You already know. See, you don't want to say that out loud. What you want to say is, is God is always going to rescue me now, immediately. And God does rescue us, and God has an immediacy about certain dimensions, and and there are times when God wants to do different things. But we're going to have to grind through things over a long period of time. We're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the way of life in a fallen world. That's the way of walking with a God that we can trust and that we are called on because of the nature of our real life to actually trust in Him and not just for three days. Now, I know that it's probably not appealing to you because it's not appealing to me. <laughs> um, I personally would, would sometimes rather have the vending machine God than the one who's real. There's something inside of me would just love to just dial it up and get it now. Rather than have to walk with this God who through His sovereignty is going to allow the difficulties and the many textures and feelings and challenges and ups and downs of this life for me to learn for the world to be shaped as God is the ultimate multitasker, as He is leading in His church and not just in your life, and we are all a part of that, and it is a flow of history. It is a process in our lives and in history that God is at work and that God is sovereign. Listen, I would rather Jesus have prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 15, 17. I would rather He pray, Lord, take them out of the reach of this world. That's not what He prayed. Before Jesus left this earth, He prayed for you and me, and He prayed reality. My prayer, Father, is not that You take them out of this world but that you protect them from the evil one. That you will be with them while they're walking in this world. And I would really love to have had him pray that you would take them out of world and out of the troubles of the world or immediately, if they look to you, immediately correct any issues in their lives. And I'd love, particularly I love an asterisk by Jesus' prayer in the Bible, especially Joseph Wheat. I would like for there not to be personal pressures in my life. I would like for there not to be a great recession in our culture. I would like for there not to be a global threat of terror through radical Islam that ain't going away. I would like for there to not be militant secularism on the rise that I, in particular, as a preacher, got to lead the resistance to that over time. I would rather not have to remember God in a personal way, in a dependent way, and have to trust Him in my life today, tomorrow, and the next day, dot, dot, dot. I would rather not. But the Lord's timing is His own. And the fact is that we do and will be in places where the forces around us 
seem to be greater. And we will have to trust in him. And we will trust in him or we will not. He will be our God, the covenant-keeping God, functionally or not. You know, sometimes because of our, our, mine and yours, individual way of looking at our lives, sometimes we forget that God is not just able to help, but that he's king over all. You understand the difference there? That God's not just able to help. God's not in heaven just to be able to help me. But that he is king over all. He is almighty God who is sovereign and unstoppable. But he is in control of the parts and the whole. And he is on his own timetable. And he is to be trusted. And his ways are perfect. And his word is true. He is right and good in all that he does and all that he allows to happen in this world. King Hezekiah, in our text, is surrounded by a vastly superior force. When I say vastly superior, this is apples and oranges. I mean, we've got the tiny little forces of Israel militarily, and we've got the gigantic overpowering thus far in history at that time, thus far Totally unstoppable, the Syrian army. And I'm talking about unstoppable by people a lot more powerful than the Israelites. Reality says that it's just a matter of time until Sennacherib, the emperor of Assyria, the lead general in the field of those forces, is going to tear that wall down and is going to tear up God's people in Jerusalem, kill and maim and haul them off. There's just no hope if you look at the situation minus God. And that is precisely what we should not do. We should not look at our situation, whatever it is, minus God. We should be very realistic about what it is. And we should take just what it is to the Lord. Now, if you... Back up off of this reality of which army is greater. Back up to an aerial view of what is actually going on here. You understand that the biggest problem here is not for Israel, right? The biggest problem here is for Sennacherib. The biggest threat is on the threateners of Israel. Because the biggest problem in this text is not an army. The biggest problem is God himself if you oppose him. And he will move in his own good time. And when he moves, no one can stop him. And we need to put our faith in the God of heaven and earth. Hear the words of Sennacherib. If you'll go back to verse 10 of chapter 19... Of Second Kings. He sent a letter to Hezekiah. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. 
Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of those nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? Answer, no. Because they weren't God. This is a mistake. (laughs) As long as Assyria was just attacking other nations, there was some success. When Assyria turned their sights on God, it's a matter of time until it's game over, lights out for the Assyrians. Make no mistake about it. Everyone, everyone in the final analysis lives and breathes by permission of God himself. And that includes everybody in this sanctuary. You are here. Because God put you here, on this earth, I mean. You're actually here in church because God led you here, too. It's all by permission of God. And and so was the success of the Assyrian Empire. We'll read that in a moment. And and Hezekiah took that threatening letter. And if if you were here last week, you remember what he did. He took it and he spread it out on the altar of the temple, in the temple of the Lord. And he basically said this, God, and in the, in the prayer that, that Hezekiah prays, he says, you know, Sennacherib's right. What's so scary about this, God, is he's right. They are more powerful. There's, there's nothing we can do. So what are you going to do, God? I'm willing to do anything you want me to do, but you have to deliver us, Lord. And after trusting in his own power you haven't been here, the first impulse was for him to try, to try to buy the Assyrians off and therefore he took all the silver and gold out of his treasury and even took all the gold and silver that were fashioned on the walls and pillars and doorposts of the temple, stripped it all off and handed it to the Assyrians. He tried to make deals with terrorists and they were right back saying, we, we not only have your gold and your silver, we want your city anyway. And it was just not a great idea to try in his own strength and by his own wit to try to, to, to work this thing. And so now, finally, he is trusting the Lord. It's just that way. That, that's just the way it is. That's just the way. There are no asterisks. There's not anybody here that gets an asterisk. And especially you. No, we're all going to go through it. We're all going to be surrounded. We're all going to come to that place in life many times. That we either trust God or we're not. And, and, you know, I'm encouraged by Hezekiah because it is after he tries his own wit that he goes to the Lord, just as it is in my life very often. And notice that God is very patient. Of course, he loses all his gold and silver in the process. But I notice that God is very patient. And when he comes to the Lord finally to trust him, the Lord is there for him and the Lord loves him. And that's also the way it works because we're all going to have to live through things. And we're all going to have to make a choice about trusting God. And the times are His. The times simply are not ours. It's in His own time and His own way that He will move. I've seen this so many times in my life. What you see today is not the way it's going to be five years from now. It's amazing how much people can change. For good or for bad. 
It's amazing how much situations can change when God just finally breaks something in a certain way in His own time. It's not right now. Maybe it's three years from now, but five years from now we see it. And there are lots of people that I see around Jackson, Mississippi that I saw 20 years ago. They are a shell of themselves. How high and mighty they were 20 years ago. They are not. They were deceived. And that goes for any town, doesn't it? What you see now is not the way it's going to be necessarily five years from now or ten years from now or twenty years from now. And I'm amazed, amazed. I keep telling you I'm 49. I've lived just long enough to actually have something to say. Like, Like I've seen it now. When I was in my 20s, I said, I've heard about this. I am amazed how people simply cannot get around God. Do you hear what I said? You can't get around God. You're either going to trust Him, you're going to walk with Him, you're going to submit to Him and love the Lord your God, or you're going to try to get around Him. And I'm going to tell you, five years from now, ten years from now, you will look up and say, I did not get around Him. I'm amazed at how He moves in situations and in people's lives, but it is first thing I wanted to say, when God wants to move. Remember, when God wants to move, no one can stop Him. It is when God wants to move, and we have to trust Him in His timetable. But secondly, is the idea that when God wants to move, nobody can stand up to Him. No one. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Isaiah, and as they say, God plus one truly does equal a majority. Anybody with God is greater than an army without God. Israel with God is far superior to the Assyrians without God. I want you to turn to 2 Kings 19.20, finally our text. You've got to set all this up, you know, with all this history. When Isaiah, son of Amoz, the prophet Isaiah, then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is what the Lord Covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. This is what the Lord has spoken against Sennacherib. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you, meaning you are, you are, you are coming to molest and rape my daughter, Israel. You thought she was defenseless. She's going to mock you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it? Who is it that you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride against the Holy One of Israel? By your messengers, you have heaped insults upon the Lord. And you have said, with my chariot, I have ascended. 
the heights of the mountains, meaning there's nothing I couldn't do. I've ascended to the heights of the mountain, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I've cut down the tallest cedars for my use, he's referring to. The choices of its pines, I have re- reached its remotest parts to the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands that are now mine, and I have drunk their water as my own. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up the streams of Egypt. You say, God says, have you not heard? Have you not heard, verse 25, long ago, I ordained this. You live by permission of me. You cut down trees by permission of me. You conquer other kingdoms by permission of me, God is saying. Long ago I ordained it, verse 25, in days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass, and you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. God is saying, the only reason you had power is because I allowed it. And then, this is, and this is absolutely crushing. You've got gotta to get a little narration here, if you don't mind. People were in terror of Sennacherib and his fathers before him. And one of the reasons they were in terror is they knew that not only were the walls going to get knocked down, their cities destroyed, their wives killed, their children killed, and the leaders hauled off to Assyria so that there wouldn't be any strength left in these places. They knew that those who were hauled back to Assyria were going to have a hook pierced right through their nose. And they were going to get led literally by a hook through the nose back to Assyria in humility. Humiliation, rather. That is what God says to Sennacherib is about to happen to him. If you look at verse 27, but I know where you stay. That's kind of scary, isn't it? (laughs) I know where you stay and where you come and go, and I know how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, and your insolence has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return the way you came. I will send you right back to Assyria. God wants to move. No one can stop him. Do you believe that? Because there are people who rail against God today. And God doesn't strike them down with lightning. He will. Not necessarily with lightning. He will honor his name. Whether it's in this life or the life to come, he will have his glory vindicated. You can just write that down. He will. He's God. Let's go back to our text, verse 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city, Jerusalem. He will not even shoot an arrow here. You can imagine just how Hezekiah is thankful for this message. He will not shoot an arrow here. 
He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp. That's what you did. You built earthen ramps to go over the wall. He will not build a siege ramp against it. Verse 33, by the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and I will save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Notice when the Israelites trusted God, he saved their city. Notice about 70 years later when they did not trust God, the siege ramp was built and the Babylonians went right over the wall. We don't trust God or we aren't. Look, we can't outwit God. We can't outwit God. Things are not ultimately the way they appear now. The strongest among us, the most beautiful among us, the most influential on the TV commercials, all the people of power, it is not going to be so. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Don't be dragged into their wake. Because the strongest among us cannot go on forever like that. And God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. God, you're not going to mock, we are not going to mock God and God not do something about it. I mean, look, I'm sorry, that's just what the Bible says. And thank God that the Bible says this about God. Why would we want to trust in somebody other than this? James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, listen to these words, that he may lift you up in due time. Trust God, though it's hard. Trust God, though you've got to grind through it. Don't join the mockers. Don't sign up for that stuff if it opposes God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. I mean, why am I being so direct about this? Only one reason. The Scriptures are direct. This passage is obscenely direct. Tell Sennacherib he's going down because he mocked me. I don't know how you preach it any other way. Now let's go back to our text in verse 35. I, I suppose there would be a sweeter little way, little way to preach it, but we're not going to. <laughs> you don't want me to anyway, do you? Because this is where you're going to find your hope, isn't it? And a God who's real. Let's go back to our text in verse 35 of 2 Kings 19. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And when people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh, his capital, and he stayed there. One day, he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, 
His sons, I don't know how you say that, but they cut him down with a sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat and Esharhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. You know what's fascinating about this is uh, we have the biblical account of this. There was a guy from England who, uh, back in the early 1900s, back when um, what was called higher criticism was in vogue, Higher criticism was the idea that basically you had to take all the, the myths out of the Bible, that, that we stood over the Bible and we were able to determine what was mumbo-jumbo added by people later and what was real. And, of course, anything supernatural was a mumbo-jumbo. You know, Jonah and the whale, give me a break. And one of the things that was well known by the critics was there, there was no such city as Nineveh. And Jonah and all this other stuff. Until this guy from England went out, he was an archaeologist in the early 1900s, and he unearthed some, uh, some remains, and he found a, like a brick, like we would call maybe a little brick, and it had an interesting name written on it in cuneiform. The name was Sargon. S-A-R-G-O-N. Uh-oh, Sargon's one of the imaginary kings of the imaginary force of Assyria. So he took it back to the, the main museum there in London. They looked at it and they said, this is a fraud. He said, why is it a fraud? He didn't quite put it that way, but to make it more dramatic, why is it a fraud? Because Nineveh doesn't exist. So, undaunted, he went back to the site. And he and several other people, hundreds of people, dug up the entire city. And you can go see it today. And not only are there bricks with Sargon, there are inscriptions, cuneiform, that mention Abraham. And there is a record called the Annals of the Assyrian Kings that details the history of the battles, and one of the details is the breaking off of the attack at Jerusalem. And when you read it, you can read it in a book yourself in English called Outlines of Assyrian History by Rawlings, who said the Assyrian version confirms the most important features of the scriptural account. The Jewish and Assyrian narratives of the campaign are indeed, on the whole, strikingly illustrative of one another. Meaning, hey, if you don't want to believe that the greatest power in the world suddenly broke off and went back home, then why don't you go read it from them? Even today, even in your life, even in his church, God is still the same. He is still the same. No one can stop him now. Just like they couldn't stop him then. He is working on his timetable. He is requiring faith and a walk with him. And he will gain the victory and victories along the way in the midst of the ups and downs in your life, in the life of his church, which has been persecuted and is to this day across the globe. The same thing plays over again and again in Egypt, Assyria, 
Babylon, Greece, Rome. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that immediately after the days of Jesus Christ on this earth and His resurrection and the day of Pentecost and the birth of this little church that the Apostle Paul tried to snuff out and then the Romans themselves tried to snuff out, who would have imagined if they had just looked at the situation that Rome would crumble and that Christ's church would go on and that Rome would become, quote, Christian? Who would have thunk it? No one, except people who believe in Yahweh God, because your situation, that situation, that's powerless and hopeless, minus God, is just what it is. But with God, it is utterly different. Who would have thought what casual observer, looking at the Assyrian army surrounding Jerusalem, who would have thought that Sennacherib would break off the attack 185,000 men lighter than he came. No one. You know, I have personally lived on the side of the Assyrians. I remember as an unbeliever, as somebody that has not believed in Christ yet, that's what I mean by unbeliever, just doesn't believe. I know that's not a politically incorrect term or something. Like you're calling people names. Just don't, people who, I remember when I didn't believe. How about that? And I remember thinking that by my own wit and my own might, I could always control it, bend it, make it happen. Finally, it would all work. And you know something? I found out, thank God, I found out at age 19 that that was not so. Utterly not so. And then I came to Christ, and unfortunately, sometimes I still try that trick. (laughs) I'm still having to learn faith in Yahweh, the one who transcends all that we see. And I've seen God do wonderful things in my life, and as a pastor for 26 years, I cannot tell you the amount of things that I have seen God do that you just would not have guessed. And marvelous they are in my eyes. And in a larger sense, beyond just your life and my life, in the situations and with God, in the larger sense of God's church, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are a lot of people worried about God's church today. Worried about mighty influences that have surrounded God's church that we certainly ask for them to surround us. In and of themselves, they are not bad or wrong, but they become very powerful if they are used to take our trust away from the Word of God. As the Word of God. Um, Mighty influences where virtual reality seems to convince the human heart that you have to see something to believe in. Even things that aren't real you can see now on a computer screen. That all knowledge, because there's just access to all knowledge, all knowledge, all faith claims have all been democratized. 
Meaning they're all equally valid and it's just up to you. What you deem to be true or untrue. Well, it is true that you must believe or you don't believe, but it is not true that it's up to you to make something true. But that is a threat to the church today. A new atheism that boasts in science, which last time I checked, we were for as well. The basis of the arguments of this militant atheism, which uses the Internet very well to mock God, the basis of these arguments are very shallow and not even hard to defeat if somebody's willing to listen. The problem is, is that Americans simply have lost the ability to think deeply and have just been taken by these arguments without critically looking at them. And atheism, sure enough, has rise from 8% to 18% in the last 10 years. First time that needle has budged in over 100 years. I know that's still small. But see, that doesn't even impact all the folks that are just beginning to say, well, maybe everything is true or not, depending on what you think. Maybe God's Word can't be trusted. Maybe it is up to me. Maybe it's up to me to put it all together. Maybe it's up to me to put my own religion together, to create my own reality. That's the world in which we live now. And it's, let me tell you, it's not just a suggestion. It is, you want to talk about self-righteous? Who are you to say that what you believe, Pastor Wheat, or anybody else that believes is true? You are arrogant. You are the problem. You're a terrorist. Like all Christians. It's exactly what they're saying. I've never seen more self-righteousness in my life. Then in the culture today, all the while saying that Christians are self-righteous, which we are, and we need to repent of it. I believe that God will overcome this. Our, our best thinkers are all, we got kind of called sleep at the switch with some of these people because they just sold millions of books. You go on the internet, it must be so if it's on the internet. I do believe that there's a relativism in the church today. I know for a fact that a majority of people in the evangelical church, that used to mean Bible-believing, no longer believe that the Bible is the only word from God. A majority of people in the evangelical church today no longer believe that Jesus is the only way to God. But I believe that God will overcome this. I believe that there will be a revival of the true faith. And I believe it will come from among the young and find its way back to the others in the church. Here's the point. Whatever it is, don't count Yahweh out. Whatever you see now is simply not necessarily the way it will be any more, that the, as, any more than the boasting of Sennacherib was the last word. And I am so glad, personally, that I know the Lord, Him. I'm so glad that I don't have to depend on my flirtatious, little, fickle little heart as to what is true. I'm so glad I have God's external, objective word to guide my wicked little heart 
from the God who loves me. Let me finish by reading from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, Jesus, freely give us all things? Let's pray. Lord, would you turn our hearts to you so that we might be encouraged? Would you allow us to walk by faith and not by sight? Would you reestablish the word of God as completely true for our lives? Would you revive your church in America and continue the great work you're doing throughout the world? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.